Good morning, church. It's good to be with you again. It's a beautiful fall day. The temperatures are changing. My uh, 31 year old, our 31 year old daughter is living with us while our husband has moved to London. She will join him in December. And she has always left me notes in my Bible, and sometimes she leaves them and I don't find them for two or three days. It's not that I don't read my Bible, it's just she puts them in weird places in the Bible that I don't read very often. And so I thought you'd appreciate this because I've met some of you this morning like this. I love you like a minister loves his church, Dad, except for the annoying members. Amen. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if the shoe fits, wear it. But uh, two weeks from today, I believe it's two weeks from today, we're having a fifth Sunday fellowship. And finally, we're having fried chicken because I'm coming. All right. <laughs> so I hope that you'll come and enjoy that fellowship that day and appreciate the search team's work very much. Let's bow for a word of prayer. God, may we be a good news people in a bad news world. And may the good news of Jesus Christ permeate our mind, soul, body, and spirit, Father. May the good news be fleshed out in our lives and the way we deal with people and the way we handle our families and the priorities of our lives. Give us kingdom wisdom because you are Lord, and will you take control of our lives. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. This morning, there were several scripture readings that we had. All of those scripture readings are summary statements of the gospel. They're summary statements of the gospel. The first one was what we call a parenthetical statement of John. In other words, it's John's commentary on the first parts of John chapter 3, following in the 16 he says for God so loved the world that he gave John wants you to get it he wants you to get here's what good news is God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life and here's the kicker for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might have life through him that's John's summary statement of everything he said from John 1 2 and 3 in particular and then the other passages that we used this morning was a summary statement by Luke in Acts 10, 34 through 40, uh, 38, when he talks about, here's good news, here's the gospel. The word gospel and good news means the same depending on the translations you're using. So Luke comes across and says, like John does in John 3, Luke gives a summary statement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here it is. He went about doing good, healing so the gospel is not just facts to believe to get yourself in heaven. The gospel embodies the very life of God in the way we ought to live. There's another summary statement of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 with Paul. So now we have John, we have Luke, and he says, here's the gospel, and here's death, burial, resurrection. And then there's another summary statement in Philippians 2 about how we ought to live out this gospel, 5 through 11, Jesus did not, account, did not count equality something to be held on to, something to grasp, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And we'll end today with Brother Richard reading another summary statement. Now, why am I doing that? Because I want to begin a series today called Good News. And the times I'm going to be with you, which will be the end of this month, and the first Sunday in November, the last Sunday after Thanksgiving in November, 
And then as John finishes 1 Thessalonians, he'll tag in hopefully some of these stories that help us embody, help us flesh out what it means to be a good news people. Now sometimes you come to church and you leave thinking, was there any good news today? Because it sure felt like bad news. It sure felt like, you know, it wasn't very engaging and it wasn't very challenging. And I, there were some nice scriptures read, but what is it that makes a difference in our life? And so the good news is what it is. So what does it mean to be a good news people that's focused on a way to live? Now, open your Bibles, if you will, to the Gospel of Mark and hear this word. Chapter 1. Chapter 1. You can use your phones or your iPads. It's okay. You can still get to heaven doing that, all right? If you have your Bible. Now, if you're playing games, heaven is in jeopardy, okay? If you're texting or emailing, it may be, make sure it's to Jesus, okay? The beginning of the gospel or the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey because he lived near Blossom, Texas. Oh, that's not what this says, sorry. <laughs> he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he's coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from him saying, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you who I am well, I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. My goal this morning is to help you reimagine the gospel of Mark. Jesus taught. Jesus performed miracles. Jesus healed people. He's a walking, talking Jesus. We call that a peripatetic Jesus. It means someone who walks and talks and t teaches. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Notice this fig tree. Notice this mustard tree. The kingdom of God is like, that's Matthew's language. Jesus walked and talked and taught as he went along the way. But there's no written word. People are hearing these stories. They're putting them down in their hearts, in their memories. They're sharing them. They're telling them. People tell the stories differently. Somebody said... You know what we need to do? We need to write these stories down. And guess who was the one that inspired Mark? By the way, it would be Peter. There's so many times in the Gospel of Mark Peter is referenced. And the only time that Peter's 
this phrase is ever used. After the resurrection, the Gospel of Mark ends in its short ending with, go tell the disciples and Peter. Luke doesn't have it. John doesn't have it. Matthew doesn't have it. The references to Peter all through, they attribute that the genesis of the Gospel of Mark is Peter's account and stories. So now what do you do? Well, when Mark writes his gospel, he's not just writing a general history that we will read 2,500 years later or 2,000 years later. He's not saying, you know, I think I'll just write a nice little chronological history. That's kind of Luke. Peter is influencing Mark and telling these stories, and Mark shapes his gospel for a particular group of people who are living in the shadows of Roman imperialism. They're living in the shadows of power. They're living in the shadows of unhealthy authority. These are believers in Christ who read the first gospel of Mark. They read Mark's gospel as the first gospel. Most of critical scholarship in the last century up until now has said the first gospel is not Matthew. The first gospel is Mark. And that Matthew is working from Mark and that Luke's working from Mark and John's just weird. John's just really mysterious going all over the map if you ever study this very seriously. Love the, we love the Gospel of John because it's written for belief and faith, but John's very mysterious and doesn't appear anything like the other three. Nothing like them. So let's set John aside. Matthew and Luke are working off the Gospel of Mark and expanding some things. Mark has some unique characteristics to him that aren't in Matthew and Luke. Now why am I doing this to you? Why am I being technical like an academic this morning? Because it's important for you to understand this. The Gospels were written to the church. The first people to read this were the early Christians, people who were believers in and about Rome. And there's all kinds of references to authority and to power and to entitlement and the values of the world and the values of Rome. And Mark's trying to say, let me tell you the good news of Jesus Christ that was prophesied from Isaiah. Let me show you that he is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, filled with the Holy Spirit. He is a person that you cannot ignore. He is the one you order your life from. Now, here's three questions, and my goal today is to go through the entire Gospel of Mark. You're saying, we'll never get to lunch. Yes, you will. Because here's the three questions that how Mark shapes his Gospel. And notice I said the word shapes. That's intentional. Because Mark, these writers aren't just writing good history about Jesus so that we'll know it later. These writers are saying, I see this person and this person and this person in my house church. I see this one and this one. This one's come to Christ from a pagan background. This one's come to Christ from this background. This one's struggling with this. This one's still operating like the values of the world. Mark is a pastor, one who feeds and cares for his people. The Gospels aren't, let me say it for the fourth time so you get it. The Gospels are not written as general history. They're written to a group of people. It'd be like a youth minister saying, I know my kids. We're doing this retreat and we're doing it on this theme because, Jared, these are what these kids need. That's what you do, right? We're going to do a retreat on this because some of my kids are struggling with and some of them are doing this and that. And we need to talk about these things. That's why Gospel of Mark was written. And by the way, that's why Luke was written. That's why 
Matthew is writing a particular, let me use the phrase, shaping their gospel in very deliberate ways and structuring their gospel to make a theological point about who Jesus is and what it means. So here's the three questions that summarize that have three moves in the Gospel of Mark. If you want to write them down, I'll, I'll summarize them again in two weeks as we work through Mark, okay? The first question that Mark asks and is concerned about is, who is Jesus? That's the very first question. And he does that from 1.14. He starts, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, and what did Jesus do? He proclaimed the good news. Wait, I thought the Gospel was after Jesus. The Gospel's about Jesus. He proclaims the good news, the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the rule, the reign, the kingdom of God has come near. I want you to change your mind. I want you to repent. It literally means metanoia. It means to change your mind. Change your thinking. Hardest thing to do, isn't it? And believe what? Good news. So what does that good news look like? So the first question that Mark's going to be concerned with and it takes place from chapter 1, 14, all the way to chapters 8, 8, 21. So all the content in this first question, who is Jesus, is answered in 1, 14 through 8, 21. And I'll talk to you about that in a minute. Second question, I'm giving you the big structure, and then coming back and make some ties, and we'll do it in a couple of weeks. Do you really see clearly who Jesus is? It starts in 8, 22, and ends in 10, 52. Now, when you read the Gospel of Mark, what you're going to read is this. You're going to read double stories. There's two feedings, 4,000 and 5,000. There's at least two blind man healing stories. There's two water stories. There's, and every time Jesus goes to the other side of the lake, guess where he's going? To Gentile territory. So Jesus does something. He gets in a boat, crosses the lake to the to the Gerizines, there are the Gerizines, or the Decapolis, the ten cities, that's Gentile territory. Mark's trying to say, you believers in Christ need to understand that good news is for everyone. Follow Jesus across the lake. Oh, there's going to be a storm come up. Then he deals with issues of faith in the boat. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about the Gospels this way. If Patrick or John or anybody that's ever preached here has ever taught it this way, but it's very central to who you are as a church. Will you see Jesus clearly on, about who he is? How do I know that? Because in chapter 8, 22 through 26, you see a weird story that introduces the central section and central question. Here's the story. It's a man walking around, and Jesus touched him and healed him, but it's like he can't quite see what? Clearly. And he asked him the time, and asked him, what do you see? He says, I see men looking like trees. And he touches him again, and he sees clearly, and he sends him on the way. You say, what? What's that story about? It's about, do you really see Jesus clearly? It was common practice to, to bundle up uh, cut firewood and bundle them up and carry them on your shoulder. It's possible that what the man saw when he was first touched by Jesus. Now, the problem is not that Jesus didn't heal him. It's that Mark has a point he's trying to make. If you really see Jesus clearly, if you really see him clearly and who he is, 
Guess what? He's headed toward a cross. And then the content from 822 all the way to 1046 through 52, which is blind Bartimaeus. Remember that story? Blind Bartimaeus, and he ends with the same phrase, on the way. He heals him. So there's two blind man stories that provide bookends to the central section of the Gospel of Mark. You say, now, how practical is this, Grady? How practical is this? First question, how do you explain who Jesus is to someone in your life? Now, Mark's going to say, and here's four ways to remember it, four Ds. Jesus is Lord and has power, which is in contrast to the Roman power. He has power over disease. The first thing he does publicly is embrace a leper and heals him. He has power over disaster, the storm that comes up on the water. Even the winds and the waves, what? Obey him. Lordship. He has power over disease. He has power over demons. Chapter 5 of Mark, this first section is where we are. Haven't got to the third section yet. He has power over demons. Other side, the man who comes screaming out of the tombs. And he knows who he is. Isn't it interesting that the Gentiles seem to know who he is. The demons seem to know who he is. But his own people who have heard him about him prophesied from Isaiah really struggle with what? Who is Jesus? Because of what he does. The gospel isn't just get us to heaven. The gospel is we shape the understanding of the good news by the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has a power and authority over disease, demons, disaster, and ultimately he raises a little girl whose mother really wants her raised, wants her alive. He raises her from the dead, brings her back to life. So Jesus, there's four D's in the, in the who is Jesus. He has power and authority and lordship over disease, demons, disaster, and death. That's the whole first section. The second session, section is those two bookend blind man stories. Do you really see who Jesus is? Lord, here's one. Tell those children to get away. And Jesus says, hmm, bring the children to me. See a value? Tell the children, they're bothering you. Nope, bring them to me. That's after chapter 8, 22 through 26. Do you really see clearly who Jesus is? Lord, tell them to quit casting out demons in your name because they're not one of the Church of Christ group. That's the way I say it. You nervous yet? I mean, it's true. Lord, tell him to quit casting out demons in your name. Tell those people over there. And Jesus says, whoever is for me is not against me. Jesus says, don't worry about it. A man cannot do something good in my name. Yeah, but they're not part of the church of Christ. They're not part of our group. They're not part of the truth group. They're not part of... Wait, but see, this is where he's dealing with. Do you really see who Jesus is? Do you clearly see who Jesus Christ is? Look at how he treats people who are different from us. Look how he handles children. Look what he does for people. Do you really see who Jesus is? You understand the good news of God? You really understand the good news of Jesus Christ? Really? Really you do? Then act like Jesus acts with people. 
I patted my foot, that means it's good, all right? <laughs> now, we got to work on this church a little bit, Richard. The reason you're sitting here is if you don't say amen, I'm preaching longer. <laughs> you women, if I don't hear a few women saying amen, I'm going up past fried chicken time, all right? And that's two weeks from now. You're going to be sitting here. We've got to learn when the word of God is proclaimed, God's people need to engage it, not just listen to it like, I don't know if I agree with that or not. Get over it and engage the word of God. It's God's word. Amen. Woo, we're getting out on time for lunch. <laughs> Hallelujah. That is good stuff. So, what's the first question? You wrote it down. What's the first question? That, chapters 114 through 821. And then he transitions with the blind man's story of the person that gets healed. He has to touch him twice. It's not about Jesus' power. It's about Mark making a theological point. You want to see Jesus? And then in chapter 9, if you, we used a couple of those. I'm just trying to give you an overview today. We'll get back with it in two weeks a little more specifically. And so he heals a boy with the spirit in chapter 9. He, he deals with the rich, man, the rich man who said, I've got it all together. What lack I yet? I mean, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And here's the value of the kingdom. You really see who Jesus clearly is? Do you really clearly see who Jesus is? Really? Then sell everything you have and give to the poor. Because Jesus went after what was really controlling his life. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Chapter, chapter 10 of Mark. He, he comes in, bring the children, chapter 10, verse 13. And then uses this phrase in verse 32 of chapter 10, they were going along the road. Now, here's really what's fascinating. I love this, Jimmy. Stay awake with me, will you? Uh, th th this is awesome. The word for road that's translated road in the old King James is translated way in American standards, translated way in the NIV, uh, might be road in NIV. NIV missed it. This is what's really important. Hadas, O-D-O-S, it's a, Diacritical markings for Greek means way. It's not just travel down a road. Well, turn left on 44, 33, 3. There's more numbers in this county than there are people, okay? Road numbers. It doesn't mean go down this road. It is a, it is a statement of follow Jesus in the way he's going. Mark is very intentional about the way he uses the word road or way that's why the nrsv translates its way because look he follows him on the road and then he comes to the end of chapter 10 verse 46 here's the central section stay with me jesus said what do you want me to do for you in 51 of chapter 10 the blind man here's another blind man story the blind man said to him my teacher rabbi let me see again jesus said to him go your faith has made you well. Immediately he gained his sight and followed him on the, what does your say? Road or way. Put a little note in your Bible. It's the way of the cross because what happens next is the triumphal entry which introduces the third section of the Gospel of Mark. So I'm giving you the structure of Mark. From 11 to 16, 8. 11-1. Triumphal entry. And he starts talking about how he's going to have to suffer and die. And Peter says, oh, no you're not. And Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Peter didn't even understand it clearly. He didn't even understand it clearly. What the purpose of the gospel was is Jesus Christ as the mission of God in the world. So from 11.1 through 16.8. Now, why do I say 8? Because most of you that have study Bibles will see verse 9 through verse 20 as a little bracket apart that weren't a part of the original message of John. 
I mean of Mark, and the reason why is we like happy endings. We don't like bad endings. That's why we don't like reading some of the Psalms because they don't end very well, okay? We like the Psalms that end well. Look at how it ends in Mark. Third section of Mark, here's the question. Will you go to the cross? First question, who is Jesus? Second question, central section of Mark, do you see Jesus clearly? Third question, will you go to the cross with Jesus? Do you understand that good news, you don't get good news until you've seen the bad news, until you've experienced bad news. You can't get to the cross without death. I mean, you can't get to the resurrection without death. And a lot of us want resurrection life, but we don't want to die to ourselves. I want it. I don't want much suffering. I don't want much pain. I met a brother one time in a hospital that was dying of an excruciating, excruciating death. He didn't have long to live. I went to pray with him. I said, brother, I am so sorry for your pain. He said, I'm not. I have not suffered anything like Jesus suffered. And if my pain reminds me to hold on to Jesus, I'm going to suffer. Whoa. I, as a young minister, I was so humbled by that. I walked out of that room and that hospital room and I leaned against that wall and I just slid down that wall, overwhelmed by this man's perspective on his own pain. I mean, think about it. I said, brother, I'm so sorry for your pain. I'm going to pray for that your pain be relieved. He said, if that means I'm dying to be with Jesus, great. But until then, don't pray for my pain to be relieved. I've denied morphine. Because in my pain and in my bones that ache and I'm crying out to God, I am called to Jesus Christ in solidarity. That sounds a lot like somebody else I know. I want to know Christ, the power of his rising, share in his suffering, and become like him in his death. Philippians 3. So, there's the gospel mark for you today. I'll get you out in time for lunch because Richard said amen at just the right time. All right. And we'll, we'll start unpacking this all the way through the end of December, okay, with you when I'm, when I'm here to preach, you know. And so it's real important for you as a church during this time that you rethink what you understand the gospel is. Well, everybody knows what the gospel is. I contend we don't. I contend we have a very truncated view and understanding the gospel that's not big enough to absorb everything that's going on in our mind, heart, soul, body, and spirit, and in the world. Jesus was concerned. Jesus was concerned that his disciples get it. So Mark shapes his gospel with people in mind that he's dealing with that need to understand the identity of Jesus, seeing him clearly in the way he does life, and thirdly, people willing to go to the cross because ultimately the Romans are going to appear to win. And Jesus is dealing with the power structures and the authority of those living in the shadow of imperialism. So what's in it for you today? Two words. And Peter. What? And Peter. You work through the Gospel of Mark, I counted them 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 21 plus references to Peter, who started out as Simon 
and Jesus renamed him rock, and he was anything but rock for a long time, right? Two words. Only Mark has them in chapter 16. Go, verse 7, tell the disciples that Jesus Christ is raised, and make sure you tell Peter. You know what that is for me? With all my struggles with my faith, with all my brokenness, with all my sin, with all my doubts and fears, Jesus still looks at me like he did Peter and said, go tell the disciples and Grady. Go tell the disciples and Kurt. Go tell the disciples and Richard and Stephen. Go tell the disciples and you just fill in the blank. And Peter is what's in it for you. That at the end of the day, this story that you hold to, that shapes your life, Jesus still says there's hope. And make sure Peter understands it's going to be okay. You make sure Peter understands it's going to be okay. You make sure Peter understands I am Lord and I'm over death and I'm over disease and I'm over disaster and I'm over demons and it's going to be okay. That's why he said, you, go, you disciples go run. Tell Peter. Tell Peter and Peter. Go tell them. It's going to be okay because Jesus Christ is the Son of God filled with the Spirit ministering to a broken world and that's the mission of the church if we're following Jesus Christ. If we can baptize you into Christ, it's not just for you to get to heaven and you to relax. It's for you to go along the way to the cross. Let's stand and sing.